Well, good morning. If I've not met you yet, my name is Bijan, pastor for our church, and really glad to be with you today. If you've been with us the past number of weeks, you'll know that we've been in a sermon series looking at the book of Jonah. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the whole book. So rather than looking at one chapter like we've been doing, we're going to ask, what does the whole book teach us? And to prepare us for that, I'm going to read different excerpts from the story of Jonah itself. So please stand as I read God's word, and the text will be on the screen. I'm going to read from chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, just some of the verses to help give us the feel of the full story. So hear now this reading of God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. In chapter 2 and verse 8, Jonah's inside the belly of a fish at the moment. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. In chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, and how they, the people of Nineveh, turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And in chapter 4. But the Lord replied to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. And he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease the discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also many animals. It's God's word. You may be seated. The book of Jonah is interesting in that it doesn't really have an ending. The whole story is about God and his love for the city of Nineveh and Jonah's hatred of the city and his unwillingness to go to preach to that city. And then ultimately when he does, he's still hoping they get judged and are 
not seeing God's mercy. And so here at the very end in chapter 4, God and Jonah are having a conversation and God asks Jonah a question. Should I not love? Should I not have concern for the great city? And then the story ends. How did Jonah respond? Was Jonah's heart eventually melted by God's grace? Did he return to God in faith and with humility? Or did Jonah run from God and persist in his anger and his pride and his rebellion? The end of the story doesn't tell us. It's a question mark. And so at one level, we don't have an answer to the question, how does Jonah respond? But on another level, we do. See, the story doesn't really have an ending, except that it does. Because think about it. How would we know what happened in the book of Jonah? The only way we could know what happened in this story is if Jonah told somebody. You see, Jonah was all alone in the belly of the great fish. How could we have known what he prayed unless Jonah described his experience? Here in chapter 4, Jonah has this incident with a leafy plant, and he's upset and he's angry, but he was the only one there. How would we know what happened with the leafy plant unless Jonah told somebody? But here's what's interesting. When you read through the story of Jonah, what you find is a man who is filled with failure. He's a fool. He's proud. He's self-righteous. He's seething in his anger. And he's running away from God. So here's my question. The only way we can know this story is if Jonah told it. But what would compel somebody to tell a story that makes them look so bad? The only possible answer to that question is the person telling the story, revealing their flaws, revealing their failures, revealing their foolishness, has become so confident in God's love for them that they can let the world see their imperfections because they have an identity secure enough in God's love. Tim Keller, who we prayed for, we prayed about a few moments ago, passed away on Friday. He writes about the book of Jonah. The only way that we could possibly know these things, the story of the book of Jonah, is if Jonah told other people. What kind of man would let the world see what a fool he was? Only someone who had become joyfully secure in God's love for them. Only someone who believed that he was simultaneously sinful and completely accepted. In short, someone who was found in the gospel of grace, the very power of God. Jonah found it. Or should I say the gospel of grace found him? The story of Jonah itself doesn't tell us that, but the fact that Jonah told us the story does. And so here's my question for you today. How can you become a person who is secure, joyfully secure in God's love for you? Such that at the same time, you know that you are sinful and completely accepted, deeply flawed and loved. Seen to the bottom and yet loved to the sky. That's what happened to Jonah. And I think if we look carefully at the whole story, we can see the lessons that God taught Jonah so that we too can be a people who are secure in his love for us. So let's look 
And let's see in this story three things as we look at the whole narrative that can help us become secure in God's love and rooted in the gospel. I want to show you today a spiritual danger. I want to show you something about loving enemies. And then finally, something greater than Jonah. So a spiritual danger, loving enemies, and something greater than Jonah. First, what is a spiritual danger that this story reveals? And here it is in a nutshell. One of the great temptations of spiritual life, one of the temptations that you have or will face, is to confuse activity for God as intimacy with God. It's one of the great temptations of spiritual life. You can be a person who knows a lot about God, who even does a lot for God, and yet be far from his heart. And that's where Jonah was. You see, Jonah was a prophet. His job literally was to help other people know God. And Jonah, when you read the story, you realize this is a guy who knows his Bible. Some of the statements that Jonah makes in chapter 2 and later in chapter 4, when he's describing God, it's breathtaking. It's absolutely stunning. His grasp of theology, his ability to recite scripture in even hard moments. This is a man who knew the Bible and he knew a lot of theology. He knew a lot about God. And more than that, he didn't just know a lot about God. He did a lot for God. I mean, in chapter three, Jonah preaches a sermon. It wasn't a very good sermon, by the way. But Jonah preached a sermon and the whole city repents. The whole city experiences a revival. I mean, that's every preacher's dream. This is a man who was successful in his ministry. There was a lot of fruit. He was leading a growing church. He knew a lot about God. He did a lot for God. He could look and point to success. And yet he was far from God's heart. He was, instead of enjoying God's grace and mercy and walking closely with God, he was literally running away from him. He didn't love what God loved. He didn't value what God valued. He was seething in anger and bitterness and resentment. He was hopeless and lost his purpose for living. He was a man who, though he was effective in ministry and smart in theology, missed God's heart. And that's possible for me. And that's possible for you. To think that what God wants is our knowledge or activity. But what he really wants is just us in surrender, in relationship. And so here's a diagnostic question. How can you know if this spiritual temptation, if this great danger is present in your life? And here's a question that you can ask yourself. Do you find God merely useful or has he become to you beautiful? Are you just following God because he's useful or are you loving him because he's beautiful? You see, a lot of people and many of us probably, if we're honest, are following God because it's really useful to do so. He's all powerful, so that can help us get stuff we want in our life. It's encouraging to have spiritual truth. It could be very inspiring to encounter the kinds of things that are in the Bible sometimes. Maybe we love the community of faith and we, we love getting encouragement. Those are all good things. But here's the question. Is there anything that God could ask of you? Is there any command that he would give you 
that if what he asked for, if what he commanded came into your life, you would say like Jonah, no, I'm running the other way. Because Jonah found God very useful. He was a prophet. He was a spiritual leader. Theology and religion was part of his life. But then one day, God said, I want you to do something that you're not going to want to do. I'm calling you to go to a place that you don't want to go. And Jonah ran the other way. Because up till that point in his spiritual life, God was merely useful. He was an accessory or a tool to help Jonah achieve the things he wanted to achieve. To become the kind of person he thought he wanted to be. And what God needed to bring Jonah on was a journey where Jonah learned really following God. And the glory of the Christian life, the glory of being a follower of God is not just relating to him because he's useful as a means to an end. But God is an end in himself. That he alone is the joy and the satisfaction of every longing heart. And so God brought Jonah to a place where he was stripped of everything so that he could learn that God was the only one he needed. And eventually Jonah learned it's the beauty of God that can heal my soul. So do you find God just useful or is he becoming to you beautiful? Until you find him beautiful, we're in a spiritual danger zone of confusing our activity for God, our knowledge about God with actual intimacy with him. The first lesson this book teaches us Second thing, though, loving enemies. It's an important lesson in the book of Jonah. As you read the story, it might be possible for you to judge Jonah, to look at him and say, come on, Jonah, God wants you to go preach good news to people. Why are you so angry about Nineveh? Why are you so angry about going to tell them that God loves them? And the answer is because they were Jonah's enemy. And even if we might be a little superior in our thinking and be judging Jonah. The fact is, loving enemies is really hard. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, when Jesus asked his people to love their enemies, it was the hardest thing he ever asked them to do. And if there's someone in your life, or if there's a group of people, maybe a whole nation that has hurt you or that has hurted your people, if you have an enemy someone who's deeply wronged you or deeply hurt you, the command of God for you is not to ignore them. It's not to tolerate them. It's to actively love them. And that was the command that came into Jonah's life. At this time, Jonah's people were at war. They were actually being conquered by the people of Nineveh, by the Assyrian Empire. So Jonah is a man of his people and he has a kind of nationalistic pride and he says, I will not go to those people. They're my enemy. But what did God want from him? I want you to love your enemy. And the most loving thing we could do for another person is help them know God. And at some point in your life, you know, some of you are like, I don't really have enemy, any enemies. That's good. You probably will one day. It's going to happen. Someone's going to hurt you. Something's going to happen where you feel totally unloved. And in those moments, one of the hardest things that God is going to ask you to do is to not just ignore those people and not just to tolerate those people, but to love them. Now, this isn't a whole sermon about how you love an enemy, but I just want to show you for a minute why this matters so much. First, when we love enemies, we show the whole world a new way of being a community. You see, the way Jonah was living 
was basically like this. I love my people, but if you cross my people, I hate you. So he was a man of his people, his tribe, his community. And many human beings today, many of us, that's how we relate to others. I have my people. And if you're out there, if you're not part of my people, I'll just kind of, yeah, you're there. But if you cross a line, if you hurt us, if you violate us, it's not just that we'll tolerate you. We're going to root for your demise. And some of you are saying, oh, I'm not like that. If you are a fan of a Premier League team or a club, you know that if your team has a rival, you get as much joy from your team winning as the rival losing. Why? Because that's how our heart, I know it's a bit of a joke, but that's how our hearts are wired. We're wired to love our own and to be against those who would cross us. So when God's people love their enemies, when God's people actually form friendship and show acts of love to people who have wronged them or hurt them, they're showing the world a whole new way of being a community. The world has three categories for people. I like you, I tolerate you, or I hate you. But God has one category. He says, everybody's a neighbor and they deserve your mercy and your compassion. Hard thing. But when we love enemies, we show the world a new way of being a family, a new way of being a human community. Second reason why loving enemies matters as much as it does, (laughs) love for enemy is the purest kind of love. You know, it's pretty easy to love people who benefit you. Like if someone's going to bring benefit into your life, it's pretty easy to love them. It's also pretty easy to love people who are a lot like you. People who think the same way, who went to the same schools, who dress the same way or from the same places. And part of the reason for that is because in loving them, you're just loving yourself. You see yourself in them. But what about an enemy? That's the purest kind of love because it's the most disinterested. It's love that you get or excuse me, love that you give for nothing in return. It's a disinterested, sacrificial kind of love. And to love enemies is to show the world the purest kind of love possible. And third, why does it matter to love an enemy? Because when you love an enemy, it's the beginning of the end of evil. Loving enemies is the beginning of the end of evil. Think about Jonah. Jonah was angry at Nineveh because they were a violent people. They were a people who literally hurt others. But you know what Jonah wanted? He wanted them to be hurt. In other words, Jonah in his anger for his enemy was acting violently in his heart in the same ways that his enemies acted violent physically. And Jonah wasn't ending the cycle of violence with his anger. He was perpetuating it. And that's what hating enemies does. It perpetuates evil. It actually ties you in. It it binds your soul to the very things that have hurt you. But do you want to know how to destroy your enemy? I mean, to obliterate them? It's by so loving them that you turn your enemies into your friends. That's the way you end evil. Not by stopping it, but by so thwarting its destructive purposes that what was meant for evil actually produces good. And that's why God wants his people. That's why God wants Jonah. I want you to go to that city and I want you to tell them that I love them. No, they deserve judgment. 
Jonah, if you don't love your enemy, then you're gonna be caught up in the same evil that they are perpetuating. Love for enemies is the beginning of the end of evil. Earlier, I mentioned Dr. King. He said, returning hate for hate just multiplies hate. And it adds deeper darkness to a night that's already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. God was inviting Jonah into one of the hardest and most important journeys that a person who's following God can be on. Can you love your enemy? Can you show people who don't deserve it kindness and mercy? Now, there's a lot more to unpack in this topic. That's not the full point of today's sermon, but it's one of the main lessons of the book of Jonah. Have we been so shaped by God's love that we can show that love to even the most undeserving? Spiritual danger, loving enemies, and the third and certainly the most important lesson of the book of Jonah is that there's something greater than Jonah. Or should I say there's someone greater than Jonah? I've been saying over the past four weeks that the story of Jonah is not really about Jonah. In some ways, it's about us. But more than that, the story of Jonah, like every part of the Bible, is about Jesus Christ. And we read the Bible rightly when we read the Bible looking for Jesus. When we look at the Bible asking, how does it point us to Jesus? But thankfully, with the story of Jonah, Jesus himself told us. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was teaching, and there was a crowd there, and they said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Like, do something. We, show us your power. Show us who you are. We want to see a sign. And sometimes people today, if God would give me a sign, if he would just show me. Jesus answered, a wicked and an adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. It's interesting. Jesus says no sign will be given except this one, one sign. And then he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I love that. Jesus says, you guys get no sign except the greatest sign in the history of the world. That's the only sign I'm going to give you. Because what's he talking about? Remember Jonah chapter one. Jonah's sailing away. He's running from God. He's on a boat. But because he's running from God, God sends a severe mercy, a storm, and waves are crashing and the sailors think we're doomed and Jonah's sleeping. So they wake him up and say, pray, what are you doing? So he goes up on top of the ship and Jonah says, guys, this is my fault. I'm running from God and this whole storm is because of me. So if you want to live, throw me overboard. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And Jonah's like, it's the only way. So they try to get back to shore. They can't. And finally, they're like, God, have mercy. We're not. And they toss him overboard. And as soon as he goes overboard, the storm calms and they're saved. Those people in the boat that day who should have died didn't because Jonah says, toss me overboard. We said in a few weeks ago, when we looked at Jonah one, that's grace through substitution. 
Jonah was willing to sacrifice himself and in so doing, he saved other people. But Jonah's heart was not in the right place. He was angry. He was running from God. He was saying, eh, just toss me overboard. And Jesus says, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know what I'm about, then you need to look at that same story of Jonah. Because Jonah in disobedience and rebellion was tossed overboard, and yet his willingness to die saved other people. But Jesus says, I'm the ultimate Jonah. I'm the greater than Jonah. Because unlike Jonah, I came not in anger, but in love. I came not hoping wrath would fall on the city. I came to bear God's wrath for the city. Jonah says, I'm so angry I could die. And Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. You see, Jesus is the anti-Jonah, the greater than Jonah, the ultimate Jonah, who came willingly not from a boat into the sea, but from heaven to earth to give himself up in sacrifice. That's where the story of Jonah points us. Jesus says, you get one sign. Jonah was thrown into the water three days and three nights in the depth of darkness. But I will go to the cross and I will die. And I'll be buried in a tomb for three days and three nights. And then on third day, I'm coming back to life. That's your sign. That's the gospel. That's where Jonah points us. And friends, don't you see? It's the key to everything. How do you move from finding God just useful to finding him beautiful? You have to look to the cross. On the cross, what do you see? The ultimate example of love for enemy. You were God's enemy. Jonah was God's enemy. We ran from God. We turned from him. We disobeyed him. We said to him, not your will, but ours be done. And in small ways, every day we say to God, we've got this. We'll do it. Our, and we turn from him. And the Bible says that in our sin, while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. It's the ultimate example of love for an enemy. It's the purest form of love. That God himself willingly became a human being. And on the cross, Jesus stood in your place. He lived the life you should have lived. And he died the death that you should have died. So that when he was plunged into darkness, you can know that your future is safe. And you've been given a seat at God's table. And you're going to be safe forever. Grace through substitution. When you see Jesus doing that for you, you say, that's the most beautiful thing ever. And no matter what he asks of me, I'll follow. I'll surrender. Because he's not just useful, he's become beautiful. And you can say, I can go out into the world and I can love enemies because look, I was a loved enemy. That I turned from God and ran from him and he pursued me. His never ending love ran after me in Jesus. That's what we need to see. The greater than Jonah came. It's the ultimate sign. Do you know Jesus Christ? Not as an idea. Not just as someone who did something once upon it. But do you know him? Are you walking with him? Are you resting in his love? The greatest lesson of the book of Jonah is to see that there's someone greater than Jonah. And he's come to save you from yourself from hopelessness, 
from the worst things that could ever happen to you. He came to rescue you. So give yourself to him today. Surrender afresh. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you for the things that we've learned the past month. And now as we allow this whole story to settle over our hearts today, as we, as we respond, as we respond to what you're saying to us, as we think about these truths, we pray for your grace to be more real than it's ever been. We pray that today we would know Jesus, not just as an idea, not just as a historical figure, but as a friend, as a savior, that we would experience the beauty of his love and that we would be changed forever, that we would be a people who love our city, who love our enemies, and make your love known in the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.